Hello, and welcome to TNT, the Technology and Things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology, and the community. Hey, Paul, long time no talk. Good afternoon, Ned. Hi. Thank you, Ned, for joining us on a uh, special edition of Technology and Things. It's great to have you on. It's great to be here, Paul. It's nice to see you as well. Some people don't know, but Ned actually did our very first episode, which is still in production uh, over a, a year and change ago. <laughs> we did an episode, we did a, we did a test run with Ned and he was, he was gracious enough to uh, let us, uh, or he was actually a guinea pig and, or be a guinea pig for us. So uh, we appreciate that, Ned. And we've been wanting to get another episode going with you. So I'm, I'm pretty thrilled that today we're going to actually have on Mohit Aaron from Cohesity, the CEO of Cohesity. So you're, co- you're coming back with a bang, I think, for one of our really special episodes. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's what we have to do, Ned, we have to get the CEO to come on for you to show up, then that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, Ned, what what is it? I, I'm curious, like, uh, I know that Evotech has been working with a lot of early stage companies for its entire, you know, the life of Evotech. Uh, what was special about Cohesity uh, and, and kind of what, what drew you into to looking at them? Well, Paul, you know, we, um, we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, the intersection between new technologies and solving for our customers' problems. And it's a really exciting spot to be. We saw uh, specifically around Cohesity, we've seen immense uh, activity around the storage space, but most of the activity that we saw in the storage space was focusing almost entirely on uh, low data services and high performance. And that's useful for a small subset of our customers' application environments, but there are so many companies that have very similar products that it became very difficult for us to, in good conscience, recommend anything as a differentiating move for our customers. And we ran into Cohesity while we were thinking about that exact problem. And that problem that we're thinking about is, what do you do with the data that's not inside of your production set when it's not in your production set? You want to monetize that data, you want to track that data, you want to store that data, and you want to do things with it that aren't just iterating against it from your production workload. And we didn't know what to call that, but we had an instinct that there was um, a requirement for something that was outside of extreme performance. And we ran into Cohesity, who uh, then and now were saying, look, we're building you a big, giant, fileable, scalable, excuse me, a big, giant file system that can scale. And uh, since we're building it from scratch, we can give you all kinds of insights into what's happening with the data. And we thought that that might start to be attractive to our customers as we see their footprints growing and their desire to manage that data. So that's what drew us to Cohesity. Uh, well, now it's over four years ago. So you're saying, you're saying then that you don't just have to store your data that's not in production, just sitting somewhere in a vault, but you can actually do something with it. Well, we had hoped that there would be something that you could do with it. You went to all the trouble to produce it, and you've gone to all the expense of storing it and retaining it. And so if you've done all that, 
then it would be even better if you could do something with it to monetize it further after it was outside of production. So yes, that's what I was saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's cool. Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really neat to see where this has all come. This data management space that I've been working in for uh, too long to say, uh, it's pretty cool to see what that, where, where we've gotten to with it, where we can now store not only large amounts of data, but we can, we can actually, uh, get insights into it. We can, we can do something with it. Uh, and it's not just sort of sitting on a shelf. Uh, you know, costing a lot of money. There's another aspect of it too, something that Cohesity enables, which I enjoy, is that the storage, the physical places where it's stored can be varied. They don't all have to come from one vendor. They could be object storage that could be on-prem. It could be object storage that's in a cloud. It could be storage that Cohesity manages directly. But they provide a view to all of those sources to give really sort of the holy grail to me is a a heterogeneous data management platform across whatever you choose to nominate as your storage media. And again, it doesn't have to be a physical nomination. It could be across a wire into somebody else's environment. You know, and, um, to me, that is almost the only thing that matters at scale is giving our customers choice. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. Ned. it looks like we've got our, um, we got Mohit online here. So I'm going to bring him in. Fantastic. Hey, good afternoon, Mohit. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Mohit. Hey, hey, Ned. Good to see you. I think you know Ned, all right, already, right, Mohit? Yes, I do. Cool. That, uh, you, sir. <laughs> uh, my name is Paul. Uh, Paul Ferraro. Nice to meet you, Mohit. Thanks for coming on our uh, podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. I see your. I, I love the background. That's a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> Shows me floating in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay safe out there. It looks like uh, it could be scary. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, hey, uh, Mohit, I, I, uh, we've got, we've got a, a, a bunch of questions for you. We want to get into it. Uh, I'd love to start with you just maybe – I'd love to hear your, your elevator pitch on Cohesity. Uh, I always think those are kind of interesting, and I'm sure as a, as a CEO you do that a lot, and I, I'd love to hear kind of what a – what a really good one is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so I like to say that, um, you know, we start by being just a great uh, backup platform for doing enterprise backups. But we truly are a platform that can do way more. I think the best way to uh, look at us is to maybe draw an analogy to uh, maybe something like Google. Google internally is a platform. But the first thing that Google did on that platform was Google search. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, they also have Gmail and they have YouTube and Google Maps and a variety of other stuff. So similarly, Cohesity is a platform for, for enterprise data management. We start by being a great backup, right? Um, data protection. So what search was to Google backups is to us. But then we go on to also be a filer platform. Right, we can do NAS, distributed NAS, NFS, and SMB. We can be object storage. Uh, we can do S3. Uh, we can uh, be the platform for doing test and development or analytics. Um, we can also be the platform that connects uh, a customer's data center and the cloud and, and provide a, a hybrid world for them. 
So, so that is what Kuhizri is. It's a platform that spans their multi-cloud environment and then gives them the ability to run apps and services. Backups is just the first one. But beyond that, we have already more. Some of them I mentioned, and some of them you can actually run by downloading apps from our marketplace. So cool. Also have yep. a marketplace that allows you to do that. Yeah. In kind of preparing for this today, I, I watched and listened to uh, a bunch of your different interviews that you've done over the last uh, couple of years. And I, I think one of the, I don't remember which one it was on, but you had talked about when you're starting a, a company, you need to have a entry point that, you know, is going to be successful. And then you need to have the long-term vision figured out as well. And I thought that was really interesting because you do see a lot of companies that either have some great idea, but that's then they don't have anything else or they have the opposite problem of they're trying to build this great vision and they don't have anything to start with. And I, I thought, obviously you guys are seem to be nailing that pretty, pretty nicely right now. Yeah. Thank you for that Paul. I think uh, it's kind of like likening it to maybe a plane taking off. Uh, you first need to take off and then you need to <laughs> gain. Um, and, and so the entry point is kind of like taking off. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have an entry point, you will never take off. Uh, so that's the immediate thing you need to do. And in Kuhizri's case, that's enterprise backups. But beyond that, there ought to be a bigger vision because if you're just at the entry point, then well, once you've done that and other competitors start copying you, uh, well, you have nowhere else to go. Uh, and so you may come crashing down again. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that's the bigger vision of uh, enterprise data management. Do more with this platform. It's not just a backup. The problem we solve because of that bigger picture is that of uh, mass data fragmentation. Our data today is very fragmented into multiple silos. And by bringing all those into one platform, you can get rid of uh, all those silos, those unnecessary copies, uh, the need to manage it separately using different UIs, different vendors, all that goes away. Right? When, when you talk about mass data fragmentation, uh, that sounds scary to a, a person that's worked with data for a long time, but what you're talking about is is that a data in an enterprise uh, is sort of locked in all these different applications and you've got probably hundreds or thousands of the same stuff all over the place. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah. So today uh, when you buy a product from when any vendor, it's just doing one or two things. That's it. And if you need to do something else, there's another product um, and that's, going to keep another copy of your data. Uh, for instance, backups is one product in the legacy world. Analytics is another one. Uh, filers are yet another one. Uh, anything you need to do for test and development is probably one more, one more silo. So the net result of it is that your data gets fragmented. There is a copy sitting in the backups and there's another one sitting in an analytics platform and yet another one sitting on all those other platforms. And analysts like IDC estimate a typical organization has six to 10 unnecessary copies, copies of your data. And not just that, but even when you put the data in the cloud, Amazons of the world aren't deduplicating your data. So, so you have fragments of data even, even there. Right. So this is the problem we refer to as mass data fragmentation. It's just fragments all over the place. Yeah, and that, that six to eight copies is probably low. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the minimum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the more complex uh, the environment, the, the more the number of copies. And, yeah. And so, very soon you're not able to extract insights from this data. You don't know how many copies you have. You know you don't know why it's growing the way it is. So those are the problems that Kuhizri was meant to solve. And sometimes 
by the way, a different analogy, uh, a simpler analogy that I draw is uh, to a smartphone. Uh, a smartphone is a great phone, but truly it's a platform. Uh, before the smartphone came, we all used to carry a phone, a music player, a camera, a GPS device, and so on and so forth. And the smartphone came and all of that got consolidated on that one platform. And by the way, that platform also gives you a marketplace from where you can download apps and extend the power of that platform. So Cohesity is something sim similar. It's a platform for enterprise data management. We may start off by being a great backup. We believe we are the best in breed in doing backups. But once we've proven that to the customer, then we go do way more. Uh, you know, I think we are partnered with Evotech, uh, with this big financial customer. Uh, we, they started off, as you know, by using us for just backups. They replaced six backup products with us, right? Uh, and then they went on to replace their legacy NAS with us. And so that's one example of, of, of uh, this vision in action. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Mohit, there's a... The enterprise storage market's really crowded. There's a lot of competition and a lot of your competitors are focusing, to me at least, very narrowly on maybe an approach that I call speeds and feeds. And um, I wonder if you would share with us a little bit about how you're looking at the market overall and how it's evolving and what you, how you think about positioning Cohesity to take you into the future. So two ways. I think let's split the discussion uh, on that entry point and the bigger vision. In the entry point itself, um, you know, look at Google's entry point. It was search, but Google had to be the best in search before people looked at uh, them on the other things. So we have our entry point is backups. We have to be best at backups, and we are. I think uh, a lot of our big wins uh, against these competitors are testament to that. Um, you know, we are very enterprise grade. We have Google-like scalability, Apple-like manageability, and they just love us. Uh, on how well we can just do that, that backups. Uh, it sounds simple, but backups are very complex. You know, you have to back up all sorts of things, right? It's a 30 year old uh, thing and, and there's virtualization environments and there's databases and there's physical servers and there's NAS environments and this and that and that version. But, but once we've proven to the customer that we are great at that, that's that's when the bigger vision also flies because people these in this day and age they don't want to buy one more product you, as you said speed and feeds you know other competitors are maybe just trying to build a better backup but what about everything else um, are they supposed to buy one more product for that filer or that analytics platform or you know maybe uh, you know doing building a hybrid cloud solution uh, so that's where cohesity really excels i think once the data is on cohesity you can extract value from that. You can do way more. Uh, you can leverage our marketplace to download apps and then extract value from your data. Right? Maybe you want to uh, find out some information for GDPR purposes. Uh, what do you do in a typical backup environment? Well, you can't do much because that environment is only going to do backups. In Cohesity's case, you can download apps and then figure out that information uh, in place. You don't have to copy the data around. So th those are some of the benefits we give, not just as that great entry point, but also as that bigger vision. And so that's why we win. Uh, customers like us for the bigger vision and they like us for what we can do as just backups. We're very enterprise great. Um, you know, we beat the other competitors uh, in both scalability, performance, um, features, uh, and then we beat them on the vision uh, and, and, and the robustness of this platform. So, so that's the secret behind our success and what's brought us this far. So Mohit, I, I, uh, sorry to interrupt you. I, I, uh, 
I managed and led, a, a, among other things, a, a data protection, a backup team for a long time for a Fortune 500 company. And it's, I love having a CEO say that backups are hard <laughs> because uh, <laughs> ba backups in a, in a big, huge enterprise environment are really hard because uh, you need to make sure they actually work and you can restore the data and all this other stuff. And, and it's uh, some people kind of simplify it down to just like, hey, it's a backup. What's so complicated about it? But obviously, you know, you know a lot of uh, you know a lot more about it than than most. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that was nice to hear. <laughs> Thank you. I think backups is one place that probably touches most of your IT infrastructure, right? Yeah. Uh, a backup product has to interface with practically anything that touches data, um, be it a virtualization platform, be it a database, be it a mainframe computer, be it a physical server. Um, you know, so so backup products have to interface with all of those. And by the way, different versions of those, right? Yeah. So backups are tough. They also and they also have they also put all those things through their paces a lot of times. You know, they they're kind of the way that they test performance. They they right. they stress your environment. They do all these other things that that are kind of uh, you don't you don't necessarily think about them uh, most. You know, until you're like angry about it. That oh, why did the backups take my application down or something? But yeah. <laughs> or when you need to recover from them, right? Yeah, that's right. when you need your backups the most, and that's yep. where you're waiting weeks. You know, like I can't recover. We've had cases where people had to wait like over a week to recover their data, and you know that's loss in productivity, loss in business, and so that's where we can really provide value. Uh, you know, we're really fast at storing data. We have this instant master store capability for virtualized environments. We can uh, restore, you know, nearly instantly. Uh, and so that's why, you know, they like us. And so backups, you know, they are way more complex than people think um, they are. And, and then they find out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit more about the, the platform and kind of the, the, the underlying, uh, you know, a file system. Uh, you know, maybe give us some insight into why, why is the, the sort of the data platform and the, the, the data and the metadata separated? What does that what does that do for for you for us? You know, as a as a community or as a technical user or whatnot. Yeah, I'll I'll give you uh, so I'll answer both of those questions separately. Uh, I'll uh, go to the data and metadata one first. Um, so, if if you want this platform to be intelligent. Uh, if you want to be able to extract insights from this this data that you have on this platform, then if you just keep the data and metadata, if you may, just kind of intertwine with each other and you can't separate them, then what's going to happen is that to do anything with that metadata is going to take you as long as what it takes you to do with the data. And if the data is big, well, scanning through the metadata is also going to be slow. Mm -hmm. So by kind of keeping... Um, you know, a logical separation and then, of course, optimizing it in the architecture so you can actually get to your metadata fast gives you a variety of, um, uh, of, of desirable uh, features. For instance, if you want to, let's say, um, quickly find out if a certain file is in there um, and you can just now search through the metadata as opposed to going through the, through the, through the data. Another example is, let's say you're archiving the data to the cloud. And we all know that cloud bandwidths are kind of limited and it's kind of expensive to uh, download all that data back. But what if you kept the metadata separate 
and now you can in order to know what files are there on the cloud and uh, to be able to selectively retrieve just the blocks that you want what if you were able to just look at the metadata uh, which is much smaller than the data and now you can kind of uh, fetch those blocks that you want as opposed to downloading all of the the data and and then looking through it um, so those are some examples on how kind of keeping a separation between metadata and uh, the data is important and that's what um, going back to your first one so let's talk about the architecture that's what our uh, web scale file system does very well um, so we call it spanafast that's the name of our file system it kind of logically spans a customer's multi cloud environment right uh, and by maintaining a logical separation between the metadata and the data uh it gives you uh, abilities that you wouldn't have otherwise if it was just a big blob of data now to search through it is going to take you ages uh, mm -hmm. you, it's going to be very very slow so now we can keep the metadata separate and we can keep the hot metadata even on faster tiers of storage like ssds and we can um fairly uh, quickly search through that and extract important insights from that uh, and so it kind of really helps uh, our customers extract insights from their otherwise dark data we call it dark because in a legacy system it's very hard to extract those insights and so those are some examples on how the separation of uh, metadata and data become important and how our web scale file system spanafas leverages that very cool thank you so mohit we uh, we talked today about your entry point being backup and that's the critical sort of table stakes for the enterprise and then you described to us the file service uh, modules, I don't know what to call them, but facilities that you've also included. Um, are you able to give us some insight into what else you guys might include in the platform as you move forward? Yeah, so we call them services. Um, so we have these two concepts, services and apps, by the way. Um, so backups as a service, but then some, some services we um, can also access through apps that our customers can download through our marketplace. But uh, in terms of other services um, and apps, uh, so beyond Filer and backups, we also have the object storage service. So we can also expose uh, our data through the S3 file system. We have the ability to run test and dev on the platform. Now imagine in the legacy world, people have to either run test and dev on their production systems, which kind of competes with their, with their production, or they have to set up one more silo copy the data to it and then do their trust test and development there when their backup systems are sitting idle doing nothing so we are saying that why not clone that data on the backup system itself and allow your developers to do some test and dev in place that's that's you can leverage your backup infrastructure and you don't have to create more copies that's another one yet another one is the possibility to run some simple analytics on this platform right so if you need to extract insights let's say for gdpr purposes you can do it on the cohesity platform so you can download some apps or build an app yourself uh, we provide the sdks and the framework for helping people build apps anything any app that can operate on data can be an app on us we can uh, port third party apps on us uh, we can have custom apps be built on us and so that's some of the power that cohesity provides I mean, literally it's um, the sky is the limit when it comes to building apps and services but those are some examples are you seeing some pretty good adoption with with folks building uh, building out the apps and and that kind of thing? Yeah, so let's just say we are at uh, you know uh, where the iPhone, if I may that ex use that example, sure. was in 2010. I think we are kind of there. Um, so we have uh, seeded the system. We have 
ported some apps on our own, built some apps on our own, and now we've opened up the ecosystem, uh, kind of inviting partners, customers, and even third-party developers to build on us. Cool. And so, so it's beginning, uh, but it's still uh, initial phases where we are seeding the, the system right now, but I'm sure this will mushroom. But yeah. I think the yeah. app adoption is tremendous. I think it's almost exponential. Every month we track our monthly usage metrics from customers and it's just phenomenal. So that tells you something's working. Yeah, I, I'm sure you're going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of interest from the community and it's going to be interesting to see what people come up with. You, you just never know what, uh, what crazy idea someone's trying to solve for. They're going to be like, hey, I can do it with an app. I'll, <laughs> I'll write it myself. Yeah. Um, so, so you've talked a little bit about kind of the, like, the, I, lo I love the airplane analogy, uh, kind of taking off and, and, and understanding where you're, where you're headed. What, what's sort of been the, have you had any sort of surprise moments, uh, you know, you know in, in starting Coesity or working through this process where you've kind of said, I thought this was going to be this way, but it turned out some, some way different, I, you know? I think the first surprise uh, was the fact how little innovation was there. I think backups, like I said, has been a probably a 30-year-old technology. Everyone who has data needs backups. And yet there is so little innovation in this space. That was the first surprising thing. The second surprising thing was that how legacy and arcane this, the products were that were doing backups. Mm -hmm. There was no scalability. If you fill up a product that was doing backups, you can't scale that into a bigger system. You have to either do forklifts, which means throwing away that thing and getting a bigger one, or um, basically setting up a, another silo or island, which was independent of the first one. And then if you fill up that, there's a third one and a fourth one. And so this is the world people lived in. And yeah. upgrading software was hard. Um, downtime was needed to upgrade software. If you need to grow the system, there was downtime. If you need to recover data, it was tough. And it just sat there like an insurance policy. By the way, that was the uh, light bulb moment where I kind of realized that there's a company here. Uh, when I asked the question, why, is, uh, why are backups just an insurance policy? Why don't people do more with them? It's a perfectly good piece of infrastructure with you know, good CPUs, hardware, disks, um, network cards, and yet it's something that, that sits there like an insurance policy giving you peace of mind. And so uh, that was a big surprise that people haven't thought of leveraging this infrastructure for doing something more. And so a number of these surprises, um, which led me to uh, build this company. Now a surprise as we were building, you know, this was <laughs> my, I haven't had um, a prior company where I built backups. And so the first surprise was how big the surface area is. <laughs> backups, you know, have a tremendous surface area. Like I said earlier, you have to backup virtualized equipment, you have to backup NAS, you have to backup physical servers, you have to backup Oracle, you have to backup SQL server. So, uh, you know, the surface area is just immense and that was a big surprise. Uh, never seen a uh, area where the surface area is this big. Yeah, you probably were, were looking at it going, oh my God, I didn't even know there was, th there's this uh, operating system too. There's, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. everything come out of the woodwork. Yeah, it, it's, you know, coming, um, uh, you know, you build, uh, naively thinking, you think that, okay, I've, you build a web scale file system and that's it, right? <laughs> uh, there's so much more that goes into, uh, you, you know, all the backup software that you have to put on top. It has to be distributed. You were, yeah. You were giving me uh, flashbacks when you were talking about building 
another silo, another silo. Because as you scale up, you had to just keep adding more and more of these things that didn't talk to each other. You couldn't search across them. Uh, but it was the only way to scale. Uh, it was that painful. Was, those were the surprises. <laughs> uh, you know, in the legacy world, people are tolerating that complexity. And they have like dedicated staff and they have people who build their careers on somehow keeping all that running with duct tape. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, and so that was a big surprise that yeah. people in this day and age when uh, uh, everyone is moving towards simplicity uh, and easy manageability, they were still managing a very complex uh, backup system. So, Mohit, I'm, I've been sitting here while you were describing that. I have to tell you, my mind wandered back to your earlier comment about extending the platform with third-party applications or apps. And to me, that's utterly fascinating. And, um, you know, what it makes me wonder is um, you have uh, – I'm trying to think through the list of things that I've looked at, but there's a CyberScan from Tenable, for example. They've uh, produced an app that extends your platform. Can you walk me through, or are you familiar with the value that they hope matriculates to them from developing against the platform? Uh, I'd like to understand how that how that cycle works. Um, from yeah, your absolutely. Um, so um, from our side, the value is clear. Um, you know, we have data on the platform that comes on the platform through backups. Uh, and we can now provide additional value to the customer. So you mentioned the CyberScan app, which is something that, uh, you know, it works in tandem with Tenable, and it can do vulnerability scans, right? Uh, it tells you if you're missing some security patches or if you might be vulnerable to something, a virus, a virus scan attack or a ransomware attack, something like that. Um, from Tenable's side, imagine when they're selling, um, you know, they have to find use cases. If they have to find a customer, they have to install their product, uh, you know, get to the data, demonstrate the value. But here, you know, we bring the data to them. Uh, mm -hmm. We have partnered with them. Um, every backup pretty much has a, a, a snapshot of the data uh, throughout the data center. So they're getting all the data. You know, let's say we go, go to a big financial institutions. Um, if Tenable goes there on their own, um, they probably are looking at many siloed products and trying to protect them one by one. Now all of them now get backed up to, to easily. And so now Tenable can attack all of them in one place. Um, and so it basically becomes an easy go to market for Tenable uh, to just kind of partner with us and go along with us. So that's the value for Tenable. Got it, okay. And I, I you just spurred another thought. I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna bounce around mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, but there's another um, aspect of the Cohesity platform which absolutely fascinates me and I'd like to ask you to expand on it a little bit which is um, you're designing a file system that can scale really really big if you need it to and so in order to accomplish that you have to think I, I'm inferring or I'm guessing that you've had to stop and think about how you isolate the failure domains underneath it of the individual components and um, would you be willing to share with us any thoughts that you had around that? Has any of your background exposed you to isolating failure domains? That's how I think about it. You probably have a more yeah, sophisticated. I, you know, <laughs> you know, I, when, I st uh, when we started our discussion, we, uh, I drew an analogy to Google. Um, yeah. and I said that Google internally is a platform, but that platform isn't just one web scale file system spanning the whole world. It's impractical, right? Because uh, you know, what about failure domains? And so what Google did internally was it split up that file system into cells and, and then made all those cells look like one logical platform through a level of manageability. And we are doing something very similar. 
So A, we leave it in the hands of customers, how big they want that failure domain to be. But once they've chosen that, let's say they want a failure domain to be 100 nodes. Um, so that's one cohesity cluster. And they can build another cohesity cluster now, but make it look like one logical platform through this level of manageability that we call Helios. It's, a, it's a, our single UI, our, our single pane of glass, if you may. Um, it runs as a SaaS service in the cloud. It can also run on-premise for customers that don't want to run it in the cloud. And that's the key to making it all look like one platform. So, so now we've split the failure domains, but uh, yet you can manage it simply through, through one, one single pane of glass. So that's the key behind uh, you know, keeping the failure domain separate and containable and, and manageable. Uh, and yet uh, you don't lose the ease of management. Ah, got it, thank you. That Helios stuff is kind of neat. Is that the, uh, there seems like there's a tool that, uh, that comes out of that that also allows us to track metadata or uh, index changes in the file system. My, uh, my compatriots or my colleagues in our security practice are very interested in leveraging that. Was that something that you guys anticipated having Helios be used for, um, for tracking anomalous behavior in a file system? Or was that a happy accident? No, I think it was, um, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a lie to say we envisioned everything we <laughs> are doing today on Helios on day one. But, you know, it's just uh, once you have a service like that, uh, it takes a life of its own. And, um, and we hire smart people and they contribute, right? Smart people come up with smart ideas. So, so I think, uh, um, one person came up with, 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 with that thing. Uh, I think it's called Spotlight. Uh, it gives you visibility into, uh, uh, in, into your, your usage and stuff. So, um, so absolutely, I think some of this is just, you know, innovation happening at the grassroots level. We build something cool and uh, our, our great engineers then come up with even more use cases uh, and, and thoughts around that. So that's basically what you're seeing in action. I love that's it. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead, Dad. So to me, that was uh, we. So Mohit, we. I think I've shared this with you in the past, but we have a lot of. We do a lot of work with customers to try to help them um, identify and then mitigate uh, threats to their environment through the security interface. And as we've gone through that, we realized that the physical infrastructure and all the data services around that are absolutely critical. And so just, I'm, uh, just to make sure that anybody who listens to this knows what I meant, there's a facility inside of um, the Cohesity platform that allows uh, you to monitor the activity on the file system to identify uh, spikes in utilization. If you normally have 10 changes per hour, to use a bad example, and it goes to 10,000, it's often an indicator that there's something wrong. And that is uh, something that we would have had to back into completely differently without that facility. And my CISOs in our company are uh, over the moon with that facility. And, um, and it makes me really happy to hear that that was kind of a happy accident because uh, that's such a cool thing <laughs> to find and then repurpose. That's, a, that's exactly how it went for us when we uh, got exposed to that technology. I remember we had a meeting with the CISO and it was, uh, you could see the light bulb, Eureka, now we can solve this problem. So thank you for that and thank you for that explanation. <laughs> And, and th that also shows the part of the platform. Now that um, sort of the compute is integrated with um, the platform uh, and we have the ability to run apps in place, uh, we can provide all, these, all this goodness to our customers. Otherwise, typically you have a dumb storage system. 
it doesn't do any compute if you need to do anything on it you have to have an external application that has to pull the data across the network maybe copy it to another silo then do something useful with it it's just very complex you just set up silos after silos after silos now you have one platform just kind of like you have in your smartphone right in place you can do on that platform so many cool things and spotlight is just one of them yeah and and like you said the those external applications sometimes can be they take on a whole life of their own as far as performance needs and everything you, you know I remember back a, a few years ago building some of those kinds of things and you you end up needing so much infrastructure sometimes to do file scanning or some of the stuff it was like more than the production environment was right. this whole analytics system and I was going wait a second this is this is just not right you you, you can't spend more money on the <laughs> Yeah, on this so it's, supporting it's, app it's yeah. one more vendor or maybe multiple more vendors right maybe yeah. one for hardware one for software it's um, uh, more licenses to manage another ui to manage more admins that you have to put on it another copy of your data right and and you're right it kind of takes a life of its own and now you got to manage the etl right. getting the data removing the data and, uh, and making sure it's secure it's just a whole mess. And Why people, <laughs> people that are asking about backing that data up and you're going, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah. go again. So yeah. we have this phrase, um, you Vicious know, uh, the philosophy we have, it's, it's captured by this phrase called move compute to the data, not the data to the compute. Yeah. Because if you think about the legacy world, the example that we just took, people are taking the data from one silo and copying it out to another silo to do something with it. And that's moving data to the compute. And, and in this day and age, when data is growing the way it is, it's prohibitively hard to just always uh, copy around the data. Why not keep the data in one place and create logical clones of that and then download those apps from our marketplace and run them in place? That's moving compute to the data, not the data to the compute, right? It's much easier to move the compute around, yeah. much harder to move the data around. So that's been our philosophy. Uh, let, let's uh, shift gears a little bit to some some kind of leadership topics. You talked about hiring top talent, and I, I know you have some thought. You have some really interesting thoughts around how you conduct interviews, and 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 who participates in an interview that I thought was really cool. Uh, maybe share with us a few thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the f the first thought I would say is um, how do you even go about. Uh, doing an interview. So this is the, you know, here's a bad way. Uh, the bad way is that, uh, <laughs> you know, a person comes and uh, you barely even know what, whether the person is even a fit for the role. Right. Uh, and so you have something like seven or eight people spending time on the interviews, uh, even when the person may not even be a fit for the role. Uh, so you wasted a lot of time, both for that poor person and also for your interviewing team. And then, Worse, um, your team talks to the person and they're like, um, oh, great guy. I had a great chat with the person. But can the person do the job? Uh, how do you know? <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, the traditional interviewing model is extremely flawed. And I tell you, uh, I don't want to act like I'm a know-it-all, but I, I've learned it the hard way. <laughs> made those mistakes <laughs> myself. So my interviewing philosophy, I think, um, I've learned over the years. I've Think of that as uh, dividing uh, your job description, if you may, you know, into three checklists. Uh, the first one is what I called a pre-interview checklist. So it's the stuff that's going to be, uh, you're going to look uh, be looking for those things against the resume itself. 
right? Um, so um, maybe you want that person to have worked in a in a startup, or or maybe if you're hiring in sales, you want that person to have done X million in revenue, whatever it is, whatever that checklist is, you need to define that. Uh, once you're like, okay, this is a viable candidate, um, and you do want to move forward with the interview, now you have the second checklist, and this goes deeper. This may you know, start looking at, uh, is this a culture match? Uh, did this person close big enterprise accounts if you're interviewing a sales for, for a sales role? Uh, and blah, blah, blah. And once, uh, you know, you have that satisfied, uh, then the third checklist kicks in, which is a post-interview checklist, which is mainly used during reference checks. And I am pretty uh, gung-ho on uh, uh, doing reference checks from, well, not only the people who might have been ex-bosses and whatnot, but specifically from a person's peers and their ex reports because in my experience those guys don't lie they if you know the ex bosses can sometimes hide, hide the red flags whereas peers and uh, and people who report to the candidate uh, they have little incentive to hide the red flags mm-hmm. um, and so between this uh, you can truly you know identify the hit rates can be really high and then of course the the team needs to be relevant you don't just call anyone to interview you call people who are intimately familiar with the role and they know how to interview for that checklist, right? So you, uh, let's say that you're looking for 20 things. Now, no one person can look for all 20. That's another mistake. Uh, what you do is you divide up, maybe, hey, Mr. X, can you interview for these four uh, items on the check on the checklist? And the other guy interviews for the, uh, maybe the remaining five or yet another. So you divvy up the work between the interviewers. And now between all the interviewers, you have a fairly good idea of uh, whether you, this person is a fit for the role or not. And, and I call it a checklist, but we actually give it a score between one and four. And the winning candidate is the one who gets the highest score, basically. right? So now between all these uh, interviewers and between all these checklists, uh, the probability of going, you can still go wrong, uh, but the probability becomes very low. So we've had uh, quite a high hit rate uh, you know, every time we adopt. Uh, this uh, philosophy we call it competency-based hiring because all the checklist items are called competencies, right? We're looking for mm-hmm. competencies, and we score them. And uh, uh, as long as we have enough eyes that score a particular competency, the likelihood of us all of them being misled is 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 kind of low. And so yeah. we end up we end up getting people who are not underqualified, not overqualified. They kind of completely match the the requirement that we're looking for. No, uh, thank you for thank you for going through that. I really uh, I love that, and I hope uh, I, I think people get a lot people will get a lot lot out of that, and uh, especially love the you know having interviews with you know prior peers and and people that reported to you. I think yeah. is is sort of yeah. not I had never heard that before, and and uh, that that was a that's a cool one. I learned the hard way. I've uh, yeah. <laughs> people, uh, called up their ex bosses. Yeah, yeah, great guy. He's do he'll he'll, he'll do well for for you. Right. But they're not telling you the negatives, right? Because they kind of, I do, I'll do the same thing for someone who reported to me. I, I don't want to talk about his negatives. I want right. to talk about his positives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but if you talk to his peer, he'll probably tell you <laughs> the negative. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, happily. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a really interesting moment. So, sorry, I'm sitting here reflecting on the these thoughts. And uh, you've obviously hired people, had people report to you and thought about this whole problem a lot. Um, you know, 
uh, from the outside looking at Cohesity, you, you seem to have, you individually seem to have a fairly distinct style to your leadership. It's thoughtful, and um, but it's also distinct and different. And would you be able to share with us some of the influences that you've had um, that have led you to develop the leadership style that you employ? Because we sure appreciate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll share two. I think the first one I'm going to take my father as an example. Uh, by the way, he's no longer uh, here. He's uh, passed away in 2016. Um, but uh, what I learned from him, um, just being persistent. Um, my father was the kind who would never give up. You know, no matter what life throws uh, in his direction, he's going to maybe fall down for a second or two, but then get up and run again. And so that's what I learned from my father in terms of persistence. I mean, building companies is hard, uh, but every time we get demoralized and we give up, I mean, that's when you'll never get up, right? So the important thing is to learn from the experience and then get up and walk and then run again. And that's something that I've kind of learned from my father. So a lot of times that's what your employees look uh, from you, right? In a bad situation, they're looking for leadership. They're looking for courage. They, they want to hear that we can, we can survive this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they want to hear how. So just calmly uh, thinking and showing them the way um, thoughtfully, you know, that's why people follow you. That's, you know, that's one example I want to give to you. The second one, uh, the second influence I will give to you is from uh, my, my five years at Google. You know, I was fascinated. I was, uh, uh, I was referred within Google by their fellow, you know, his name is Jeff Dean. I think his articles are all over the internet. Uh, you know, he's behind some of the big technologies like MapReduce and um, the Google Brain and, and a variety of them, uh, Big Table. Uh, and and w- what influenced me the most about um, uh, his style, as well as there was another one, um, Sanjay Kimawat, I think both of them, both of them are Google fellows, is that they always work in the trenches. They are, you know, probably you can call them the chief architects of Google, but they're not sitting in an ivory tower just shouting orders. They're literally <laughs> doing the work themselves. And, you know, the, the difference that makes is that's where the respect comes from. Because people know that these guys are not saying things, um, you know, just because one day they woke up with that thought. They are saying this from experience because they're willing to do it themselves. And so that itself has influenced me quite a bit. Um, I don't sit in an office. I work with the people. Uh, whenever a new exec uh, is uh, is hired, either someone else or me, uh, they'll be told that you know I am a little bit different because I will work with them. So they will find it odd because they'll probably have run into CEOs who can uh, want an update once in a while, but they're actually not engaged, not never in the trenches. Um, so my leadership style that way is different. In my mind, uh, I balance my my inspection duties, which is what a CEO also has to do, with my work duties, which in my mind, I got to be in the trenches with people working on the hard problems. And so um, I think that influence comes from the, the Google uh, background that I have, because there was no such thing as, you know, a big hierarchy and I just give you orders and you go do it and I'm just going to sit in my office and do nothing. Um, that's why Google is what it is, uh, you know, because of that philosophy. And I always subscribe to that philosophy. Let's work in the trenches, no matter, no matter what your title is. Um, you're not big enough to be above the people who work in the trenches. You work in the trenches. It's uh, servant leadership, right? 
Yep. That's, yep. That's what it is. Are you listening, Paul? I, yeah, I'm, I love it. I'm, what are you talking about, Ned? <laughs> I'm Sorry, taking Lord. it. I've taken all it all my in. customer for years. I like to give him the business. <laughs> uh, so you talked, Mohit, a little bit about the balance there. How 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 do you balance that of of you know being you know in the trenches versus you know actually kind of over you know seeing everything that's happening or trying to see as much as you can and 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 and, and all that. Yeah. So, um, you know, the C, let's say the first job of a CEO is to be an inspector. And then you inspect and then you find something's wrong. Then you go deep and get in the trenches there. But you go in with the idea that you have to fix whatever is wrong and then come out. Because if you stay in the trenches for an extended period of time, your inspection duties are going to suffer, right? Uh, and so while you are always working in the trenches, you change trenches quite often because you <laughs> fix what's there in one trench. Um, either it's uh, show the way to the leader there or put another leader on top or what have you. And then you come out of that trench and then you say, okay, what else is wrong? And then you get into that trench. And so you're kind of always inspecting and quickly going into trenches and climbing out. You're never going to sitting there in the trench for a long time. So that's how you're going to balance. So keep moving all the time. <laughs> keep moving. <laughs> it's a fighting job. I <laughs> uh, love it. Get fast in a trench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of keeping moving and dealing with change, Mohit, what, how are you guys responding to this whole, uh, I'll, I'll call it the COVID-19 lockdown. Has it been, good or bad? Has it affected Cohesity positively or negatively? Do you have any thoughts on what we should be taking away from this experience? Um, I think we, I think it's all about learning, right? Every situation is about learning. Um, um, so there have been, I, I would say some, some things that are, I would just say different. Some people might call it negative uh, and some things that are different in a positive way. Uh, on the negative side, uh, you know, we are all people. We like to interact and uh, connect with people. Uh, and uh, when we went to our offices, uh, the interaction was uh, much more in person. Uh, and these days, uh, we interact more on Zoom. But I can tell you it's not the same thing. And it especially shows out when I talk to customers. You know, because if I'm talking to some people in the company, then we are all, like, we don't mind uh, speaking on top of each other while, while we're on Zoom. But let's say I'm doing a customer presentation. Uh, you know, the customers are silent on Zoom. And at the end of it, maybe they'll ask four or five questions. But that's very different when I'm presenting to them in person because we've broken glass a little bit. Uh, we've broken ice, sorry, not glass, broken ice a little bit. Um, you know, in the beginning, we are chit-chatting, a few jokes. Uh, so it's a much more comfortable environment. Whereas on Zoom, when I'm talking to the customer, it starts, okay, I go into the presentation and for the next 45 minutes, I'm just presenting, 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 and at the end of it, maybe there are some questions. So there, there is a tendency to become a little bit more impersonal uh, when you're remote, uh, as opposed to when you are there in person. So that's one um, thing that is just different. Uh, but I would say overall, the company has adjusted quite well. Uh, you know, it's been now nearly two and a half months um, that we've been in this shelter in place. I think I saw my office 
last on March 16th. Uh, haven't been there since. Uh, and I think so have been so many people. They just shut down in their, their, uh, their homes or apartments or what have you. And it's just different. I think we've adjusted, but uh, it's not the same. Uh, on the positive side, um, we've learned that we are a very resilient company. Uh, no matter you know what the world kind of brings to us, we know how to change and adjust to it. Uh, and we'll figure out a way. So uh, it gives people that confidence. We have figured out how to work well remotely, how to kind of communicate even more. I mean, one of the things that we realized is, uh, I think in this day and age when people are kind of remote, they probably want a little bit more communication. And so we figured out ways to communicate more. We tell our managers, over communicate with your, with your employees. We figured out how to do virtual parties, right? Um, every department has their virtual days off, um, maybe half a day on Friday for some departments or uh, a few hours here and there for some other departments. And so we figured out how to kind of have fun, uh, mix work and life in a, in a good way. Um, so a lot of positives, some negatives, um, it's just different. It's just learning. Uh, one thing that's common is we've learned to be a resilient company. We, we le- we've learned we're very resilient. We can, we can deal with this. And, and I think our results are good. Yeah, we were, we were doing our podcast all, you know, we used to do our podcast in person. And so now yeah. it's over Zoom. Uh, and it's the same kind of thing. Like you said, it's, it's uh, building that rapport and laughing and having a good time is something we like to do on the podcast, but it's sometimes, you know, it's harder to do on, on the zoom. Uh, I'm a really funny guy in person, a lot funnier than on zoom. <laughs> but uh, uh, when you, when you meet someone for the first time, uh, then it's a little bit harder. And especially if it's a formal setting, like a customer, yep. uh, it's a little bit harder. Uh, but otherwise I think within the company, people have gotten used to, you know, the jokes and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, it's just a little bit harder when you're presenting. And right now I got, I, both of us are looking at each other uh, on camera, but let's say there's a presentation between us and both of us are looking at the slides. Now I'm not able to see your body language, right? Uh, for the most part. And so yeah. it becomes a little bit harder. Uh, and so if I'm presenting and you're sitting there, you're like, should I interrupt him right now? Maybe I'll wait until then, right? And so that's, that's what becomes different. And yeah. on my side, I'm like, I wish Paul interrupts me because I want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can interrupt you all day long, Mohit. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's de- like you said, it's, it's definitely been interesting uh, with, uh, with doing all these meetings. One little tip that I actually started implementing with these Zoom meetings is turning off my self-view, which I, I read somewhere, you know, it's less fatiguing. And I tried it a few times and it, it's actually pretty nice. You just don't, don't look at yourself at all, which is, <laughs> it kind of gets turned on automatically and it, and it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, you don't need to look at yourself. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I can buy that, but I think the self view is somewhere in the corner somewhere. Um, yeah. so I, you know, I, right now I got you on the big screen. So. Oh, good, good. Well, that's, <laughs> that's good. Hopefully that's not fatiguing. <laughs> <laughs> When Ned comes there, then it becomes a little bit clean. <laughs> yeah, that's the spirit. That's the there spirit. we go. There we go. <laughs> um, so, Mohit, um, one thing we were wondering is, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the, the client meetings and, and talking to, to customers and, and, and potential customers and everything. Are you seeing any, um, you know, shifts in, in the market or changes or kind of, 
how people might be consuming things differently, even over the last couple of months? I mean, that you might be able to share with us. Yeah, we have. I think, look, uh, one of the things we know, uh, you know, because of the recession, um, budgets are getting tighter. Uh, so that's one. Um, the second is that imagine a person like myself, uh, a person managing IT, sitting locked down in their home, and they don't, they can't manage a complex environment uh, in their data centers or or what have you. So so basically, they one you know they need something that's more cost effective, that they don't need to have like an army of people managing it, and second, they need something simple. Uh, they can't deal with all those different silos and fragmented stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so in that fashion, you know, business has been good. Um, you know, if anything, it has accelerated the adoption of uh, simplicity. Um, and people have realized that, you know, well, whatever they had might have been there for 20 years, but they can't manage it anymore. Uh, not, not when they're locked down in their, their apartments and homes. And so that's something that we've definitely noticed. Uh, budgets are getting cut, so they don't. They can't afford to have ten people managing like one backup environment. Right. They'd much rather, you know, have a simple one that one person can manage, maybe on their iPhones, and that's where we came out with actually Helios on on the on the smartphone. <laughs> they can manage their complete backup environment just from a smartphone. Um, and and so absolutely, those shifts are are there. Um, uh, people are also, um, you know, maybe accelerating their journeys towards the cloud, and we help with that. Yep. Uh, and that's again, if they can't manage their data centers, then let's offload the problem to someone else like Amazon, right? Um, and so that also is happening. Uh, so some of these shifts, tightening of budgets, um, some of the stuff moving to the cloud, and third, looking for simplicity and ease of manageability. I think those are the rough trends that we've seen. Well, you guys hit all those. Ned, Ned I yeah. think we have time maybe for one more. So if you want to go fire well, away. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. So Mohit, I'd like to follow up on that a little bit. And I'm curious if you're seeing something that we're either seeing or think that we're seeing. So um, because of the decline in budgets, we're seeing, uh, maybe it's, I don't know if it's because of that. We're seeing what I believe is an acceleration at, on our customers or at our customers to move away from functional silos. Uh, so instead of having the security guys fighting with the storage guys who are fighting with the backup guys, we're seeing a more outcome oriented approach, which is causing the silos to sort of blur together and have maybe even the line of business uh, driving a decision. And I, and I wonder if you're seeing that. Uh, and the reason I ask is because everything that you just described, the desire to have simplicity and cost containment and more broadly applicable functionality, that's more something that a line of business person would want than a person whose career has been making backup as complex as possible. So are you seeing a similar motion? And if you are, how are you adjusting how you guys approach um, the market to accommodate or, or take advantage of that shift? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I'll give you two examples. Um, you know, the compliance guys, um, they need to find information for GDPR purposes. Uh, and they are now talking to the storage guys. Hey, we need to work together so that this job becomes easier. Uh, and uh, similarly, the security guys, right? I mean, we all hear about ransomware attacks and uh, people lose, have to pay ransom for unlocking the data, someone hacks into it and encrypts it and that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, the security guys are also talking to the, the guys who manage the data. And, hey, you know, we got to do things in a way that 
keeps both our jobs safe. Uh, and so that's that blurring we are seeing. And that's where cohesity really helps because our whole vision is to not keep them in silos. We shouldn't have one product managing your data and another product doing security on that, right? How about we do all that on one platform, right? Keep the data on the platform and manage stuff on that through apps or, or services. So we have apps uh, like we discussed earlier that can help with GDPR. We have apps that can provide um, vulnerability uh, protection, uh, ransomware detection, virus scanning and stuff. So that's where we kind of bring all these different silos together and help with, uh, you know, um, further blurring those boundaries. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that insight. Yeah. Well, Mohit, uh, really, really appreciate you uh, coming on today and, and spending an hour with us. Uh, it's been really, really great. Uh, appreciate all your insights and, uh, you know, look forward to uh, doing this sometime in person when we, when we can do that again. Oh, I'm itching for that. Um, <laughs> Ned, and, Ned and Paul, thank you so much. And, uh, and especially thanks to whole of EvoTech for their partnership. We have done some great business with you guys and we hope to, to look forward and uh, doing way more. Absolutely. You, Pleasure seeing you. Thank you, Paul. Thank yep. you. Thank you, Mohit. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Ned. How'd it go? That went great. I love that guy. That was great. That was really great. Um, I, I, uh, I'm super happy with, uh, with that. And I think our, I think our listeners are going to get, uh, you know, we, we covered a lot of ground, um, from leadership to, uh, getting into the technical stuff, uh, with the weeds, with the file system to kind of understanding their vision and, and all that. So I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty cool. Appreciate everybody listening to our technology and things podcast with our, Super awesome guest host, Ned Engelke, uh, Chief Technology Officer of Evotech. And uh, we look forward to having him on again. And thank of course, so <laughs> a big thank you to Mohit, Mohit Aaron and, uh, and Cohesity for, uh, for uh, coming on today as well. So thanks a lot, guys. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Paul. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of the TNT Podcast Technology and Things hosted by Paul Ferraro and Jeff Kruger. We'll see you next time.